I'm Dr. Anthony Bolas, and welcome to Healthy Dose. We've been through a lot over the past several years as we are all still trying to recover from the after effects of the COVID-19 pandemic that has taken a toll on us not only physically, but mentally as well. In fact, we are in the middle of an alarming mental health crisis in our country. It's been reported that suicide rates have increased over the last decade by over 16% in the United States, with the year 2022 having the largest number of recorded suicide deaths to date. Rather than calling 911, there is a new emergency number to call in case of a mental health crisis, and that number is 988. It connects callers who are having suicidal thoughts or who are having a mental health emergency to a crisis counselor at one of 200 local crisis call centers. Today, we will talk with Dr. Cherry Jackson, professor of pharmacy at Auburn University's Harrison School of Pharmacy and clinical professor of psychiatry and behavioral neurobiology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Dr. Jackson will discuss everything about mental health from what it is, how to help manage it, and the role that COVID-19 has played in worsening mental health. We'll also introduce you to the new emergency phone number to dial in case of a mental health emergency, 988. More to come on today's edition of Healthy Dose. This is Healthy Dose, brought to you by Samford University's McWhorter School of Pharmacy in Birmingham, Alabama, preparing pharmacists to transform lives. More on the web at samford.edu slash pharmacy. Welcome back to Healthy Dose. I'm Dr. Anthony Bolas. Who can forget the iconic pickup line of Joey from Friends? How you doing? Or maybe you remember the iconic Super Bowl ad from Budweiser in 1999 where everyone calls each other to say, What's up? Believe it or not, these simple and fun ways of saying hello may mean more to the person you say them to than you could ever know. Individuals today are busier than ever, often moving 90 to nothing to meet work deadlines, chauffeur children from extracurricular activity to extracurricular activities, shop for groceries, cook dinner, volunteer for charitable organizations, you name it. Sometimes we focus so much on the endless task of checking things off our own to-do list that we forget to stop and check in on the people we love. A simple text message, voicemail, email, social media shout-out, or in-person coffee date may actually help to save someone going through something very difficult that we never knew. And a simple question like, how are you doing, can easily give that person an open door to know that you care. To give us a pulse check on the status of mental health today, we bring in Dr. Cherry Jackson, professor of pharmacy practice at Auburn University's Harrison School of Pharmacy and clinical professor of psychiatry and behavioral neurobiology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. To begin, Dr. Jackson explains the definition of mental health and what it looks like today. Mental health really involves our emotional, our psychological, and our social well-being. And it really affects how we think and how we feel and how we behave. And our, our mental health uh, determines how we handle situations, uh, how we relate to other individuals, and how we make our choices. And so very much like physical health, uh, mental health is important throughout your entire lifetime, from childhood to adolescence and into adulthood and old age. Dr. Jackson further illustrates the difference between the terms mental health and mental illness, as they are different terminologies. Although we use the terms interchangeably 
poor mental health and mental illness aren't the same thing. So a person can experience poor mental health and not have a mental illness. And likewise, a person who has a mental illness can have periods of physical, mental, and social well-being. Mental health and physical health are equally important for overall health. And mental illness, especially depression, increases the risk for other types of physical problems, um, especially long-lasting conditions like stroke, diabetes, and heart disease. And so the presence of chronic conditions can increase our risk for mental illness. And it's important to remember that mental health can change or across a person's life. It depends on a lot of factors. And so when demands are placed on somebody and those exceed their ability to cope, their mental health can be impacted. So if somebody's working long hours or they're caring for a relative or they're having some sort of economic hardship, they may have poor mental health. So mental health and mental illness can affect all of us. There's no doubt that COVID-19 has wreaked havoc on our world since the end of 2019, and we are still battling its after effects. In fact, the term brain fog is a real symptom of the virus. Dr. Jackson discusses how this virus has and still continues to affect us mentally, along with showcasing the other side effects of the pandemic contributing to even more mental health issues over the years. All right. Well, that's an interesting topic. And, and while there's no doubt that stress and isolation can lead to depression, we know from studying individuals who have had COVID that the virus can invade the brain by passing through the blood-brain barrier. Now, once that COVID virus gets into the brain, it can cause inflammation, um, and that leads to swelling in the brain, and it leads to hypoxia, meaning a lack of oxygen, and that can lead to poor cognition or what we sometimes call brain fog. Now, we found um, that during and since the height of the pandemic, the number of individuals with anxiety and depression have increased. And that's led to what many believe is a mental health crisis. And in one large um, study that was done here in the United States, researchers found that 20% of people who experienced COVID um, developed a mental health issue, including anxiety, depression, or dementia, about three months after having the virus. And that was double the risk of people who had not experienced COVID. So there, there is an increased risk there. And even now, um, several years after the pandemic, those same mental health concerns and substance use remain elevated. And as you know, the pandemic affected people's mental health in a, a lot of different ways, including isolation, uh, people experienced loneliness, job loss, um, a lot of people didn't have financial instability. A lot of people had illness. We lost a lot of people, so a lot of grief. So in addition, three in 10 adults reporting mental health symptoms today, we found that overdose deaths have increased sharply. And even though the public health emergency itself is over, people are still grappling with worsening mental health, well-being, and they also face barriers to getting the care that they need. If you could look at a graph of suicide rates in the United States, you would see that they have continued to rise overall throughout the past decade. We did have a slight dip in the rate for one to two years about five years ago, but unfortunately that drop was short-lived as they have only skyrocketed to the worst rates we have ever seen most recently two years ago. 
Dr. Jackson showcases all the numbers related to suicide in our nation and who has been most affected by it. And as far as suicide rates go, it was interesting that in 2019 and 2020, we had some of the lowest suicide rates on record. And suicide rates stayed stable in 2021, but the number of suicide-related deaths in 2022 was the highest recorded, and it exceeded the highest ever year that we have suicide numbers by over 1,000 deaths. Since 2011, over half a million people have lost their lives to suicide, so the suicide rate has increased by 16% since 2011. The other thing we've noted is that emergency room visits for suicide have increased, especially among adolescents since the pandemic. And a lot of that rise has been due to an increase in suicidal thinking among female adolescents, with 30% of them considering suicide compared to 14% of their male peers. Um, suicide rates have also increased among communities of color compared to their white counterparts, and um, suicide deaths by firearms accounted for more than half of all um, suicide-related deaths, but that has varied greatly um, depending on the state. And the other issue with suicides um, that we, we're not sure if we have uh, final numbers because many, since overdose deaths have increased, it, it's difficult to know whether those overdose deaths are, are intentional or are they accidental. We all have bad days and probably use the terminology that one feels depressed over a certain situation going on. But is that really what clinical depression is? Dr. Jackson clears the air on what is considered a clinical diagnosis of depression compared to just feeling sad over particular events in life, which is actually a very normal and healthy emotion to express. We all feel sad and, and blue when bad things happen, like losing a loved one, especially during this pandemic or going through a breakup or, or just having a bad day can all cause feelings of sadness. And that's okay um, because sadness really is a healthy emotion. And it's important to feel that when we have a difficult situation. Um, but depression, on the other hand, can be very debilitating and it, it can require some additional support. So when you have a major depressive diagnosis, uh, major depression usually lasts at least two weeks and it will affect a, a person's ability to work and to carry out usual daily activities and oftentimes to have um, satisfying personal relationships. Um, sadness is, is a symptom of depression, but it's not the only one that people have. Um, other signs that, that help determine if you or if a loved one is are having um, depression is besides feeling sad you may have some crying um, you may find that you um, want to isolate yourself that you have difficulty with eating and sleeping patterns that you may have trouble um, participating in regular activities like work or school and uh, usually it will last again at least a couple of weeks. So if you're sad, you can have some of these things, but they won't be to the same degree. Um, a person who has, has symptoms of depression um, might move more slowly. They might become agitated. Um, they may sleep too much. Um, they might completely lose uh, interest in activities 
and they may think about self-harm or suicide. So not everyone who's had depressed has all these symptoms. Everybody's different in the number that they have and the severity. So it's important to really understand um, depression and how to identify it and to differentiate between sadness and depression. Um, and sometimes it's hard to pinpoint the reasons uh, that somebody has depression or so that they're feeling down. So a lot of times it's worthwhile to talk to someone. It can be difficult to know what to do if someone tells you that they are feeling suicidal. Dr. Jackson emphasizes the importance of taking action and illustrates why talking it out can actually be a good thing. Yeah, if, if somebody says that um, he or she's thinking about suicide or says things that sound like they're considering suicide, it, it definitely can be upsetting. Um, and, and we may not really be sure what to do to help, um, whether you should um, talk to the person seriously or, or will your intervention make the situation worse? And, and to be honest, taking action is always the best choice. So here are some things that you can do. Um, the first thing you want to do is start by asking questions. So you want to ask whether the person is in danger of acting on their feelings. Um, and you want to be sensitive to them, but you want to ask direct questions and you shouldn't fear asking a direct question. Um, you can ask things like, how are you coping with what's been happening in your life? Or do you ever feel like just giving up? Um, I always go straight to the point. Um, are you thinking about dying or are you thinking about hurting yourself or are you thinking about suicide? Um, other things you can ask are, have you thought about suicide or tried to harm yourself before? Um, you may also want to ask, have you thought about how you would um, complete a suicide or when you would do it? And do you have any access to weapons or things that could be used as weapons to um, harm yourself? And so asking about those thoughts or feelings will not push somebody into doing something self-destructive. In fact, it usually gives people an opportunity to talk about their feelings and actually can reduce the risk of acting on their suicidal feelings. Did you know that in July of 2022, the government approved a new emergency number for those experiencing a mental health crisis? Similar to how you would dial the number 911 for a medical emergency, you can now dial or text the number 988 for a mental health emergency. You can use this number to call for yourself or on behalf of someone else who you believe needs crisis support. Rather than calling 911, there is a new emergency number to call in case of a mental health crisis, and that number is 988. The federal government introduced that 988 number in July of 2022, and it connects callers who are having suicidal thoughts or who are having a mental health emergency to a crisis counselor at one of 200 local crisis call centers. So individuals calling that 988 number can access crisis counseling, resources, referrals, and connections to other crisis services. So again, in a mental health crisis, um, rather than 911, which would be calling um, directly to the um, police and security services, 988 is the number that will connect you to people who can provide mental health services. If you happen to forget the new 988 number, you can always still call 911 and they will get you routed to the right place or can send someone to you to determine if you should be taken to the hospital or not. 
The biggest takeaway is to ensure that the person who is experiencing a mental health crisis is not left alone in the moment. Dr. Jackson continues. If you're talking to a loved one or somebody's um, thinking to attempt suicide, uh, you never want to leave that person alone. And you can call 911. 911 will definitely know to transfer you if they feel it's needed either to the suicide hotline or they will have emergency personnel come to assess you to take you to the hospital if it's necessary. And so calling 911 is absolutely okay if you don't have the suicide prevention hotline number. We're about halfway through our show now, so we're going to go and take a quick break in the action to listen to a brief message from one of our sponsors. Dr. Jackson will be back in just 30 seconds to discuss more about ways to help with mental health using non-medication therapies, as well as what some of the most common medication therapies entail. Stay tuned. The community pharmacy safety problem that we keep hearing about in podcasts or in the news or in different articles isn't about the workforce difficulties of the pharmacist going from the big bottle to the little bottle. It's all about the safety of getting the right drug to the right patient for the right reason with the right dose. And that's why we use Choose My Pharmacy. It's a way to evaluate the safety of community pharmacies in a transparent and agnostic manner to make sure that the right dose is getting to the right person. You can learn more at choosemypharmacy.com. We're now back with our second half of the show, and interestingly enough, there are many effective therapies to help with mental health that don't involve medications. Dr. Jackson highlights some of the best therapies to try first that involve healthy lifestyle changes. There are a lot of things that you can do to help with stress and anxiety um, that that first of all, probably don't involve taking any kind of of medications or using over-the-counter agents. Um, one thing that would be good is, is just to take some breaks from watching or reading or listening to news stories, um, especially those on social media. So you may want to limit the news to just a couple times a day and disconnect from your phone or your TV or your computer screen for a little while. It's also really important to take care of your body, especially if you're anxious, getting deep breaths, taking deep breaths or stretching are important things that you can do exercise regularly, usually a minimum of 20 to 30 minutes, a minimum of three days a week. Some studies suggest five days a week of regular exercise, and that's getting your heart rate up would be important for you to do and really can be helpful. Um, Exercise, interestingly enough, can increase the amount of the chemical serotonin in your system, and serotonin can be really Um, important as far as um, decreasing depression and decreasing anxiety. And so regular exercise, while that can be difficult, it can be really important to your mental health in general. Um, Try to eat healthy and have well-balanced meals. Get plenty of sleep. Uh, And it's always important to avoid excessive alcohol, tobacco, or any substance use that can make the situation worse. And then you also want to continue with your um, routine preventative screenings, like your vaccinations or cancer screenings, as recommended by your healthcare professional. Other things you're going to do are to connect with other people, especially people that you trust about your concerns and how you're feeling. And then connect with your community or faith-based organizations. If lifestyle changes aren't making a difference, we have a few over-the-counter and a bountiful of prescription therapies that are available to try as a second line of defense. 
Dr. Jackson discusses that it is very important to talk to your healthcare professional to determine what is the best option for you from a medication standpoint as everyone is unique and responds to medication differently. Typically, while people may recommend an over-the-counter drug, um, I probably would not recommend that you take one without being assessed by a healthcare professional first. And that might be your community pharmacist or your regular physician or somebody in psychiatry that might, um, might have a better handle on how severe your um, depression or anxiety is and whether it would be appropriate to take something over the counter if you need something a little bit stronger to help with whatever's going on for you at the moment. If you have any of the symptoms that we've discussed, you really should talk to your physician about them and, and ask whether a prescription antidepressant could be useful. Um, antidepressants treat the symptoms of both depression and anxiety. Um, and if you have anxiety, your physician may wanna start you on an antidepressant, but start it at a lower dose than he or she would for depression and increase it as your body tolerates it. Some people, when you start first start an antidepressant, can get more mm -hmm. anxious, and we, we want to avoid doing that. There are a number of different categories of antidepressants your doctor um, could choose, and, and it's best to choose the one that treats the symptoms that you are experiencing, and everybody will have slightly different symptoms that they're experiencing, and so Choosing one that treats your symptoms is going to be the best, and also one that will cause the least number of side effects uh, for you and will interact with the fewest number of medications or not interact with any other medications that you're on. The medicines that we usually use um, to treat depression and anxiety under broad categories are called the specific serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs. Um, the serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, or SNRIs, bupropion, or mirtazapine. And, and if none of these first-line agents or first-line antidepressants work, there are other medications that your doctor can use to try to get your symptoms under control. When one of these new prescriptive agents is introduced into the body, Dr. Jackson counsels us on the importance of understanding that they can take at least a month or longer before reaching a steady state concentration in your body for you to see any improvement. It's really important to, number one, take these medications every single day. You don't want to miss a dose. If you're skipping doses, you can't get enough in your system to start working to treat your depression or anxiety. The second thing to remember is, is that it takes typically four to six weeks to start um, feeling better. Um, so while your things like sleep or your appetite may improve early or your energy might improve early on, it really takes uh, four to six weeks to start seeing serious improvement in your mood. And so it's important to take the medicine a minimum of four weeks to see if you're going to have some improvement in your symptoms. And so unfortunately, it doesn't work like Tylenol or Advil, something you'd use for a headache or even an antibiotic where you might start feeling better in a couple of days. It really could take uh, quite a bit of time to re-regulate your serotonin and, and for your mood to start to improve. 
Once you've been on one of these antidepressants for a couple of months, it's imperative to not stop these agents right away. Instead, a slow taper off the medication is essential to giving your body time to adjust, as Dr. Jackson reiterates. Definitely, if you're taking one of these medicines and you've been taking it for, you know, a couple of months and you're feeling better, that's fantastic. And, and the reason a lot of times people are feeling better is because they're taking the medication. Um, one thing you don't want to do is to stop it suddenly. Stopping it suddenly um, can cause the symptoms that you were treating in the first place to come back rather quickly. Um, and they can come back, you know, within a few days to several weeks or a month. Um, people also, if they stop these medications suddenly, may feel very flu-like. They may feel um, dizzy or they may have a headache, um, may have some nausea, and that may uh, last for, um, they may not start right away. It may take a day or two for those symptoms to start, but they can last um, one to three weeks. And so it's really important not to stop these um, medications quickly. Um, you really should talk to your physician about um, coming off of them and you should come off of them slowly to allow your body time to regulate in the opposite direction. Um, it took, it took uh, four to six weeks for your body to get in the right place to treat your depression or anxiety. And it can take a shorter period, but you should be careful in taking it off and just allow your body to re-regulate to where it was before. While there is so much need for help related to mental health today, we are ironically experiencing a shortage of mental health providers. Dr. Jackson explains the reality of a lack of providers to help with mental health from a national and state level. We, we need a lot more help than what we have. We are very understaffed. Uh, just in Alabama, I did um, a, a study not too long ago looking at um, mental health barriers in the state, like how, you know, how easy, how many mental health practitioners do we have in each community? Um, and then we call those uh, practitioners to find out how easy or difficult it was to get an appointment. And usually we think about it being difficult in the rural areas of the state, but we found that it was also very difficult in urban areas of the state. So it was difficult to get an appointment in Birmingham and Huntsville, um, Montgomery and Mobile, um, they were, you know, four to six months to get an appointment with somebody. And so uh, we don't have enough practitioners in the United States as a whole. Um, I, I know I can speak to Alabama specifically that we don't have enough practitioners um, to see folks um, and you know, especially if somebody needs immediate care, uh, the primary resource is, is going into the emergency room So, because the, there is such a huge backup. Pharmacists can also play an important role in identifying and referring those who may need help with their mental health or by sitting down with patients to analyze the different medications they are taking to ensure side effects are minimized and that their therapy is, in fact, effective. Dr. Jackson highlights. Community pharmacists are available everywhere, in rural areas, in cities, all around. And so community pharmacists really can have an impact on mental health outcomes. Um, they can help to educate patients about the medicines that they're on. They can really 
help to improve adherence, which just means taking the medication on a regular basis. And they actually can recognize mental illness um, through observation and through doing screenings. And there are some regular screenings where pharmacists can, with just a few questions, can determine whether somebody is experiencing something like depression. Your pharmacist can also provide you with some resources, and they can also give referrals to patients that might need them. And they can also help to evaluate the medicines that you're currently taking to see if any of those medicines might be a cause of altering um, your mental status or, or making you feel more like you're depressed or more anxious. So they can evaluate to see if any of your medicines are causing the problem. And they can also help your physician make decisions on what might be the best medication for you to use to help you with your depression or anxiety. As we finish off the final word with Dr. Jackson on mental health, she gives a great recap on important tips to remember when it comes to mental health therapies. Depression and anxiety often can be very difficult to treat, and it's important, again, to take your medicine on a daily basis or it's, it's not going to work. I often have patients that will space their medicines out to kind of save them, um, save money on them. But if you do that, they're, they're really not gonna work for you. Um, a lot of times the first medication that you're given may not work and that is normal. That's very typical. Um, we have to, may have to try a second or a third medication. And so don't give up stay with the plan and if you need to try another medication um, do that make sure that you take it the way it's prescribed in most cases we want to make sure that the medication the dose gets maximized of that medication and we want to use it again for a minimum of four to six weeks to see that symptom improvement unfortunately Anxiety takes a lot longer to treat than depression does, and so um, it's, a lot of times people won't see full remission of anxiety symptoms for about 12 weeks. Uh, so you really need to have a lot of patience with taking antidepressants to treat anxiety. And even under the best of circumstances, there are about 30% of, of individuals won't respond to an antidepressant. And so it's not uncommon for us to have to use a combination of medications. And last of all, finding a good therapist that you like and that you work well with can't be overlooked for its importance. If you have depression or anxiety, whether it's mild or moderate or severe, psychotherapy can make a big difference in how you respond to treatment. All right, how does everyone feel now? Let's all just take a second to take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Let's continue to fight through as best we can each day that we have and check in with each other to know it's great to be alive. Be sure to contact your practitioner and your pharmacist to determine best practices for mental health in regard to you and your situation. Remember, don't forget the number to call 988 for any mental health emergency. For Healthy Dose, I'm Dr. Anthony Bolas. Healthy Dose is not intended to provide specific medical advice. Individuals should confer with their personal health care providers prior to making any changes to their treatment plans, and the opinions and views of those appearing on the show are those of the individuals and not of Sanford or McWhorter School of Pharmacy.